0: Your attention. We always respect your time so we want to get started on time. If you look in your program here, uh, open the inside, there is the, uh, the prayer that we pray, the St. Joseph Prayer. It's a compilation from that uh, Father Huber and Father Massen, uh put together back in 2016-17 for the Community of Transcendent Men so if you would stand and we will begin with our prayer Amen. in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit Amen. St. Joseph, protecting father of the infant Jesus and dedicated husband of the Blessed Virgin Mary we come before you for your powerful intercession and protection we turn to your courageous example to form and shape and our presence. So that we can be examples, examples for our family, for our church, and our community. We lift up to you, Saint Joseph, our joy and our pain, our success and our struggles. Through it all, with our sinfulness, may we persevere in the mission, of leading families to heaven. St. Joseph, recognize the calm and protective presence that lifted up the Blessed Virgin Mary and the Son of God through your love and protection. Obtain for us, through your divine Son, all the spiritual blessings needed to grow as his disciples, strengthening not only our relationship to him, but also that of the entire church. Amen. amen. Thank you. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, great to see the turnout we have tonight. Is there anybody here for the first time? Preston, Greg, Greg, and Frank. What uh, parish are you from, Frank? uh, Saint Gerard. Saint Saint Michael
1: the Archangel.
0: Uh huh. And Preston, you're from IC here.
2: Saint
0: John. Zomer. Saint Jen. Saint Agnes. Agnes. You guys drove away. Joe. Saint Saint Jen. So thanks for coming, thanks for making the drive on such a beautiful night, nice and warm. And, you know, it is, it is a testament you men came out and give up your night on a cold night. And we haven't met in uh, a couple of months. We're at a different venue than we normally are, uh, but you still came. And we really appreciate that because we have a job to do as men uh, for the Catholic Church uh, and for our families and for each other. So thank you for coming. Uh, It's a blessing for us to see uh, a group of men come together like that. Uh, uh, Just a real quick rundown. We uh, always start with our prayer, then we do our Sunday readings, and Father will do a little bit of catechesis on that. And uh, then we bring up our speaker, um, and then we have table discussion. We're going to have a little uh, – we're going to take advantage of an opportunity tonight to share with you an opportunity to – to grow in your learning of how to be a man from another man, uh, and, and, but we'll bring up Mark Benson to, to tell us about that in between Father's Catechesis and uh, Father Hastings' talk. So um, we always ask for volunteers to come up and do our readings, and I've already volunteered uh, Deacon Don from Immaculate Conception, uh, but we'll take any other uh, um, men who would like to come up for our readings.
3: The first reading is from the prophet Isaiah. Thus says the Lord, share your bread with the hungry, shelter the oppressed and the homeless, clothe the naked when you see them, and do not turn your back on your own. Then your light shall break forth like the dawn, and your wounds shall quickly be healed. Your vindication shall go before you, and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, the Lord will answer. You shall call, cry for help, and he will say, "Here I am." If you remove from your midst oppression, false accusation, and malicious speech, if you bestow your bread <clears throat> on the hungry and satisfy the afflicted, then light shall rise for you in the darkness, and the gloom shall become for you like midday. The word of the Lord. Thanks be God. The just
2: man is a light in the darkness to the upright. The
1: just man is a light in the darkness to the upright. The
2: light shines through the darkness for the upright. He is gracious and merciful and just. Well for the man who is gracious and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. The just man is a light in the darkness to the upright. He shall never be moved. A just one shall be in everlasting remembrance. An evil report he shall not fear. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord.
3: The just hand is the and the
2: His heart is steadfast; he shall not fear. Lavishly he gives to the poor. His justice shall endure forever. His horn shall be exalted in glory. The just hand Reading the first letter of Paul to the Corinthians. When I came to you, brothers and sisters, proclaiming the mystery of God, I did not come with sublimity of words or of wisdom, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and much trembling, and my message and my proclamation were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with the demonstration of spirit and power, so that your faith. Might rest not on human wisdom, but on the power of God. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to
1: God. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. According to you, Lord. Jesus said to his disciples, "You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its taste." With what can it be seasoned? It is no longer good for anything, but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city set on the mountain cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and then put it under a bushel basket. It is set on a lampstand where it gives light to all in the house, just so. Your light must shine before the others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your heavenly Father." The Gospel of the Lord.
4: Praise you, Lord Jesus Christ. Gentlemen, the Catholic Church is so blessed to have all these wonderful people teach us about the beauty of Catholicism. And one of those uh, awesome guys, as you know, I I gravitate towards Scott Hahn, and then John Bergsma. I I subscribe to his uh, talk, and he's just awesome. And in his discussion, his reflection on the readings, he really does highlight a beautiful thing. First of all, you guys know that I uh, love—I have a special affinity towards Isaiah, and uh, Isaiah was like a, a 8th century BC guy, lived in the 700 BC, and and then he was such an influential character that he had disciples writing for him in the, in the 102 years after he died. And this is one of those cases here in, in Isaiah 58. So this was written during a time when Israel went through the, uh, the Babylonian exile in around 687 BC, and then they were coming back from the exile. And then notice how this disciple of, of Isaiah is talking about how share your bread with the hungry and you can imagine you're one of the exile people coming back. You're like, well, that that's uh, That's me. I'm I'm one of the hungry. We're one of the destitute. And uh, John Bergsmuth says what this Isaiah, this disciple of Isaiah is highlighting is a jubilee year that we they haven't had a jubilee year in over 50 years because of the Babylonian exile. And yet, what this this disciple is painting is, is a jubilee year. And what do you do in a jubilee year? you uh, reestablish your ancestry homes, and you, 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 uh, you uh, offer, uh, you know, just like what John says here, you, uh, Isaiah says here, you offer the, you clothe the naked, and you offer the homeless uh, shelter and everything else. So John Bergsman points that out. And then with uh, Jesus in the gospel, this will be the last thing I'll offer you is, um, again, John Bergsma goes on to talk about what, what Jesus is talking about here is more liturgy. And uh, Matthew, if you remember, he was a Jew, maybe not so devout, maybe he was, we don't know, but he was a tax collector. And he was writing to a Jewish audience, It was all the scholars tell us that. And so, as Matthew retells the story of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, that begins in chapter 5 of his Gospel and continues on through chapter 7, but it begins with the Beatitudes, you remember the Beatitudes last week, blessed are the poor in spirit? and now it continues on with the salt of the earth and this is the same sermon okay so uh when matthew highlights that jesus calls us salt if you're a first century jew you can't help but think oh wait a minute now we use salt for the liturgy of the tabernacles uh the feast of the tabernacles and and why do they do that because they have they they see salt as a purification of the offered meat uh the offered animal and the preservation and so salt for the Jews, first century Jew, was a, a, a way that it, it it solidified their covenant. It preserved the covenant that God has established with the Jewish through this, this poor animal. And so then we are the salt of the earth. We are the preservation, and, and we are the purification. And then uh, Matthew highlights Jesus' words with, and you are the light of the world. And again, uh, John Berksman points out that in, in the um, in the feast of the uh, Passover, and in the feast of the tabernacles, they light these big gigantic menorahs. In the and they, there's a bunch of them, and they light them up, and it lights up the world. And then Jesus goes on to talk about uh, the the um, uh, 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 city set on the mountainside. And we ca- we can even as Catholics can figure this out. We know that that's the uh, on the mountainside. That's Jerusalem. And it sits up on the mountainside. And when you go as a faithful Jew to to make your pilgrimage every year or every three years, depending on how faithful you are, you, when you go up to Jerusalem, you've got to go up. And and then on top of that mountain is, is the, the Temple Mount. Next to it is Mount Zion. And so Jesus is relying on all of us to be salt, to be light, to be that city on the mountain. I, I want to bring up Father Paul Hastings.
0: He is the uh, rector for Kenrick Glennon Seminary.
5: Yeah, grateful to be with you. Uh, Tuesday evenings are generally time for the men. Uh, they have house meetings, they'll sometimes have a gout. It's, it's, um, and it's early in the semester. Uh, starting next week, we have evaluations. So, uh, three to four times a week from 7 to 9 p.m., we have evaluations. Each man has a half an hour to talk about what they've been going through in the year. So we'll start with the deacons next week. Just so uh, brass tacks, the seminary, when it's completely full, we have 129 beds. Uh, Right now we have um, 30 men in the college. So we have a college program, guys who are coming out of high school. And then we have 26 men who have graduated college who are in what is called pre-theology. Uh, so what's the number there? We got 56 there, all together. And then uh, with theology, we have uh, I think it's 70 men uh, in the Theologate, and then about 10 men in uh, pastoral internship. So all together, uh, no, that 80 is inclusive of the 26, so it's going to take it down to uh, 60. So 60. So we're, we're right around 120 right now. Uh, 120 guys um, in the in the program, so we're not completely full, but we've been full. And um, part of the reason is that we've gained 12 dioceses over the course of the last seven years. Uh, we serve dioceses. We've always had Belize. Uh, we've had Bismarck for the last 25 years. Um, so from Bismarck to Belize. And from Evansville, Indiana, and Lafayette, Indiana. Lafayette's kind of new. Evansville is very new. They have a seminary of their own called St. Meinrid. And the bishop decided to send to us because his spiritual director is on our faculty. That kind of helps. Uh, and then all the way out west to uh, Dodge City. Uh, we got some, a visit from Orange, California during the break. Um, so who knows? 22 dioceses in total. And. Um, If we hadn't gained those 12 new dioceses, our numbers would be way down. But um, every one of those dioceses uh, is down in numbers. And and that's just kind of across the country. Uh, The numbers are down. And people will talk about the pre-shortage and the the numbers being down, but uh, I I tell people, really, it's not a pre-shortage as much as it's a practicing Catholic shortage. If you just do the pure economics of it, if you got, well, they just came out with it just recently, Kara study. Uh, what country in the world has a 96% weekly practice of the faith? Nigeria. Nigeria. Some of you are reading the paper. Yes. Nigeria, then it's like 76% with Kenya. And then it moves into Lebanon. And um, I think Ecuador is at 50%. Then you move into that next tier. And you've got places like Poland and Slovenia and Italy. It's kind of holding steady at 30 and then you move into that lower tier, uh, even the, the U.K. is at 25%. The U.S. was at 24 before COVID. We're now at 17%. So nationwide, we're at 17%, which puts us in the bottom tier. We're not quite France, which is 8%, thank God. Well, we're, not, we're certainly not Switzerland, which is 7%, all right? But we're in that bottom tier as a country in the weekly practice of our faith. And so a lot of these mergings and changes are happening as a result of a decrease in the practice of the faith. Just and I don't know about you, but I'm still practicing. All right. So I, I grew up in Christendom, I have to say. And, and by the way, the, the chief author, his name isn't on it, but his, uh, from Christendom Apostolic uh, Monsignor Shea really expanded the text. Our friend, uh, a priest uh, of the Diocese of Minneapolis St. Paul, he's a trained historian. He really gave the kind of st- structure of the text. Um, uh, I just had a few comments here and there once in a while, but it was friends talking about things. And, uh, I grew up in a part of Nebraska which was uh, German and Catholic and right now it's being transformed to be 11 sites with two priests. So what was 11 parishes individually is now three parishes with 11 sites. Uh, One of the sites has four churches in it, and each of the churches could have held three to five hundred people, big Gothic churches in the middle of the prairies. Um, Think St. Genevieve, uh, that size of a church. Um, So, growing up in that environment, it was a rich environment, but um, the same caustic elements of non-practice of the faith uh, were at work already at that time all right and so we're we're dealing with an age that really deserves to have men who can stand on their own two feet and really live out of an interior life that will sustain them if the structures of the culture don't sustain us if the structures of the culture aren't there then what kind of interiority is there And we deal with this in the seminary. The seminary has a lot of structures. Here's your prayer time. Here's your class time. Here's your spiritual direction time. You get a lot of these structures. But we tell the the men, when you're on your break, your three weeks of Christmas, your your ten days for Easter, and your whole summer, what's happening is the exoskeleton of the seminary is taken away. And we find out if you have a spine. We find out if you have a spine. And it's the spine of an interiority a man who can get his bearings wherever he is, whatever's going on, he can pay attention to his interior life and choose to follow Jesus from that interior life. To follow what is of God and to reject what is not of God. And if our priests are not able to do that and teach that, how do we expect our men to do that? So a lot of the work of priesthood nowadays is really teaching prayer, teaching interiority. So I just want to offer a taste of that this evening. And the questions that I've asked you to ponder, I've given you this sheet to, um, as kind of a take home. You can fold it in half. I like things you can fold in half and put into a book. And you just open your book up one day, and you're like, wow, I remember this. It fits in a Bible. Most Bibles are about this big, right? And one of the practices among men that can be very helpful is uh, sharing where you live interiorly. One of the first questions God asks, what's the first got- question God asks in the book of Genesis? It's a, God's always up to asking questions, all right? The first question God asks is, where are you? Where are you? Adam and Eve have hidden. It's not a Marco Polo question, it's a, it's a way to get them out of their hiding, all right? Because that's the human condition, is to hide. That's what we tend to do, is hide. Man caves are hiding places. Work can be a hiding place. The bar can be a hiding place. Men coming together like this intentionally is a statement that says, I'm I'm done hiding. I'm not going to hide anymore. And I'm going to share my life in such a way that someone can know where I'm living. I'm going to share my heart. And uh, friends, uh, priests have a hard time with this, a very hard time with it. That's why we have to practice it in the seminary, sharing our heart. I had to learn this as a priest, and we had these three questions we would ask. My priest group would get together, and we'd have three questions. What's the most significant thing happening in your life? Which is a great question for spouses. What happened today, you know? The second question is, what don't you want your parishioners to know about? Well, I don't want, to know, want them to know how much debt we're in, you know. I don't want them to know how, much, uh, how many problems we're having with this personnel. <laughs> and then the last question is even more revealing. What don't you want us to know? And so it really moved us into a place of trust. It wasn't confession time, but it was time to really share your heart. So I thought as an exercise this evening at your tables, you might consider talking about a recent experience of vulnerability. Something that happened to you or some time in which you shared your heart and you weren't sure what would happen. You were in a vulnerable place. Maybe you had to ask someone a favor. Maybe you had to tell someone about something in your past. Maybe you had to ask for something from your parents. Maybe you had to tell your parents something that you weren't sure they'd receive. Maybe you had to share something that you really wanted someone to know, but you didn't know if they would receive you after you told them about it. So some experience of vulnerability. And what were the fears that happened before that? And what did you learn as a consequence of that? This is how friendships are built. Through vulnerability. Through being vulnerable with one another. If there's ever a movement that certainly anticipated this apostolic age, it was the Curseal movement. Uh, from 1964 in, in Spain all the way through the United States. My grandfather was one of the first people in 1967 to participate in a curseil. All eight of his kids would and so would my grandfather on my mom's side and all eight of his kids would be in curseal. And what's the chief evangelization axiom of curseal? Make a friend. Be a friend. Bring a friend to Jesus. Make a friend be a friend, bring a friend to Jesus. And so this, this movement can grow if, if it's growing out of friendship and bringing friends to Jesus and, and having your friends share really what's going on in your life, what's really happening with you, to the extent you're able to share. No, no, you can't force it. You can't fake it. You can only see if it grows. Also, by way of background, I have 43 first cousins, which is a kind of medium-small-sized family in my area. Uh, My mom had about 110 first cousins. My dad had 77 first cousins. Um, And as I said, the men's group, uh, we grew up, uh, it was Catholicism and baseball. So these German Catholic communities would build their dance hall, they'd build their Catholic school, then they'd build their church, and then your baseball diamond. And because we had a lot of baseball, Bob Gibson played in my men's league up there. And my cousins pitched against him. And they were 35-year-old farmers, and they beat him. He was a 19-year-old black man in the middle of rural America. Probably no other black man within 150 miles. That's how far away we are from North Omaha, (laughs) where he grew up. And he said to my cousins, you ought to consider playing some more advanced baseball. And they said, well, this is advanced baseball, because we beat you, didn't we? (laughs) And he laughed. And uh, they they said, well, I got to operations loan and I got five kids and I'm farming, so I can't really go play baseball right now. But a lot of farmers, a lot of baseball. And I played ball well into my 20s before I, uh, I went to seminary at the age of 20 I played baseball in the summers. I was a pitcher. My dad was a pitcher. Uh, my dad was also a Vietnam vet 1969. He was a Marine, a marksman, so he taught us how to shoot. Uh, so hunting and fishing was big in my family uh, and I miss it a lot. You know, living in St. Louis, the last seven years, I've had a number of guys uh, show me some good places to hunt, uh, but a lot of these wealthy hunters have no idea how to shoot. So, so I get to hit everything else. All right, <laughs> there's 30 birds sitting out there. They get these birds and they put them out there. You know, it's like a video game. They got their dogs and the birds are placed out there, and then there's 30 birds. I might shoot 19 of them. So, I'm happy with that. It's well beyond my bag limit. All right. I'm used to the single shot, no, no dog, and finding the bird myself. Um, so my brothers are back home raising their kids. I have seven nieces and nephews, my two younger brothers. I was the oldest of three boys. And um, growing up in this environment, I, I was brought to this uh, realization of kind of my role as rector. Um, is, is a shepherd, right? And um, I was thinking of... Um, the closest thing to a shepherd that happens is checking the cattle. We had about 80 cow-calf pairs. If you ever walk through a herd of cattle, and, and, and these are 1,500-pound animals, right? So if you're walking through a herd of cattle and you're 7 or 8 years old, you've got to be aware of which ones are a bit skittish. And You can tell by their, the flanks and the rumps and the head and the movements, and you can see which ones are skittish. So from a young age, I kind of was designed to learn where the tightly wound cattle are and where the, the more chill cattle are, right? You just kind of learn that as you walk through the herd. And so that's kind of how I'm wired. As I walk through crowds, I'm aware of the folks that might be a little tightly wound and skittish. And I'm aware of the ones who are a little more loosely wrapped, right? A little more chill. I will take loosely wrapped eight days a week in the seminary. The last thing we need is more tightly wound men because you can't get anything in there when a guy's tightly wound. He's got to be opened up. He's got to be opened up. You can feel feel yourself getting tightly wound when you're afraid. Fear does this. And Jesus, what's he constantly saying as the Good Shepherd? Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And the second thing I, I, I have to engage a lot of times is what Jesus does in the Mount of Beatitudes. So I open up to the inside here. I offer you the Beatitudes just to notice what he does here. What he does, whenever praying with Scripture, I start with these three kind of uh, prompts. See the place, see the people, hear the words. See the place, see the people and actions, and hear the words. And Benedict does this, and when he does it, Pope Benedict, who just passed, of happy memory, he says, Jesus goes to the mountain and he gets his beatitudes, he gets his sermon by looking at the people. He sees where they're at. And then he does this really ingenious thing, right? What does he say? Blessed are those people who are poor in spirit. You know those folks? And he's looking right at them, and they're like, wait, wait a second, I think that's me. Blessed are those folks who mourn. Those folks out there who mourn. and so I'm, like, right, I'm mourning over here. Right? In other words, as he proclaims the Beatitudes, all of his listeners are starting to notice that he's talking about them. And he's naming where they live. He's naming the thoughts and the feelings that are alive in them. And he's saying, blessed are you when you... Acknowledge where you actually live. You'll be met there. That's the good news. God only meets us where we live, not where we think we need to be or should be, start shooting on ourselves, right? or supposed to be. Right? right now, I'm a Catholic man who doesn't know a whole lot, or I don't think I know a whole lot, but maybe I do, but I'm finding out, but I'm just going to be honest, I'm afraid of the future. God will meet you there. Catholic man, trying to raise my family, it's not working out so well, my kids are doing this and that, and I'm angry. God will meet you there. Blessed are you when you're honest. If you want to measure your prayer, there's only one measure, and it's honesty. The second measure is consistency. But it's not about whether or not you're getting some dryness or console, It's just being honest. So that's one of the things I do all the time as rector, is help people feel and think what they're really feeling and thinking and help them be honest about that. And silence will magnify that honesty. Silence as you see on the next page, I'm giving you a little ARRR act. This is a rush through of something I could spend a lot of time on. A lot of you have heard of ARRR but I'm a a chief proclaimer of this. A-R-R-R is a way of paying attention to a relational life with God. A stands for acknowledge. Name it. What's going on? I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I'm mourning. I'm poor. Okay, blessed are you. I'll meet you there. But we don't just look interiorly like sort of navel-gazing. The next step is R is relate it. Tell God about it. Share it with God. Relate it. The Christian life is about relating, not introspection. The Christian life is about communion, not being alone on a mountain, but being with someone. And that relating will result in a receiving, and that receiving will result in a responding. So relating, receiving, responding, A-R-R-R is called praying like a pirate. And you're probably praying like this already. You know those quiet moments in your day? Do you have some? Is it when you drink coffee? When you stare out the window and turn off the radio? When you take a moment, look out over the kitchen window and look outside and see your kids playing, and you're just moved from watching your kids to gratitude for your kids and gratitude to God for your kids. Suddenly, you've moved into thoughts and feelings of gratitude directed at God. It just started with looking at your kids. And so, relating, you want to see this in action, just go to the road to Emmaus. Jesus pulls up. What were you discussing? And they start to say, Are you the only one who hasn't heard? You hear the attitude in that? Some attitude. And so, you suppose Jesus, when he hears attitude or anger or frustration, what does he do? Does he back off? No, he gets more excited. And so, on the other page, just before, I said, there's three questions you can ask if I want to know where I am in my spiritual life. Because God looks at me, consider how God looks upon you, and asks, where are you? That little phrase, consider how our Lord God looks upon you, that's from the exercises of St. Ignatius. You and I all have had the experience of being looked at. We know when someone's looking at us. The Indian scouts, when they were scouting, they, they told, uh, they, they, they said, don't look at the person you're scouting. Don't look in their face. They'll know you're looking at them. Look at their knee, their belt buckle. Look at something about their body, but don't look at their face. They'll know. So you kind of know when someone's looking at you. This happened on the farm all the time. You knew when Grandma was looking out the window. all right, <laughs> Or when Grandpa was you know, seeing us from the tractor. And so if it was Grandma looking at you, you kind of felt like, oh, she just wants to see what's going on. If it was grandpa looking at you, he's probably going to see if you're doing anything worthwhile. He'll put you to work. All right? If it was mom, she's probably making sure you didn't break something. all right. So depending on the person, different thoughts, different feelings rise up, right? If your kids look at you, if your wife looks at you, if your dad looks at you, if your mom looks at you, if God looks at you, What thoughts and feelings come up depends a lot on our image of God. All of prayer is prefaced by this gaze. Let God look at you. That's the beginning of prayer. Consider how God looks at you. And that comma right there, it says, et cetera. That's the most loaded et cetera in the history of the planet. Because from that et cetera came the exercise of Saint Ignatius, discernment of spirits, 20,000 Jesuits and Jesuit Pope 500 years later. That's pretty astonishing, et cetera. Right? All because he let God look at him. And these questions allow me go, to go to spiritual direction. Whenever I go to spiritual direction, these are the questions Jesus, when have I rested in you? Jesus, when have I resisted you? And Jesus, what do I want to ask of you? Desire is the way of orientation. What do I want to ask of God? What's my asking? What petition do I want to ask? That always orients me because Jesus is asking that question. What do you want me to do for you? That's one of his great questions. He asks 150 questions throughout the Gospels. What do you want me to do for you? Back on the other page... Just this, after A-R-R-R, I'm just kind of orienting us relationally because that's the the chief concern. To live a life that's R-I-M instead of M-I-R. R-I-M refers to a life that's lived by relationship. A relationship which gives me an identity. An identity which gives me a mission. Why is that important? Think about it. I have a relationship with my dad, so what's my identity? A son. I have a relationship with my brothers, what's my identity? Brother. I have a relationship with my, my, my dad's siblings' kids. Makes me a cousin. Alright, so my identity comes out of my relationship. All right? And because I know who I am as a cousin, I choose a certain mission toward my cousin, of affection and gratitude. I have a certain mission, I have a certain set of behaviors with my brothers. I have a certain set of behaviors with my fathers, even regulated by the Ten Commandments. So my father receives honor and respect as part of my mission. Now if I fail in my mission, does that affect my identity and make me less of a son or brother or cousin? No. I'm still in a relationship with them. But look what happens in America. We ask, what's your name? And then what's the next question? In St. Louis, yes. Right? Which, by the way, I, when I first moved here, I was assigned a high school. Uh, they said, it was Father Brian Fallon. It was a total Father Brian Fallon thing. Uh, he said, you could be a slew guy. And I really didn't have any idea what that meant. And I said, oh, gee, thanks. And then he paused and said, no, wait wait, you grew up in the sticks, you're a valley guy. So I was like, okay, I will take that. So ever since I have helped St. Louisans have some kind of geographical sensibility about where I'm from. And I grew up in an area a lot like Mo- old Monroe, not really good farm ground, but it's all German and Catholic. And I went to a high school that was really good at football and basketball for many, many years. And The, the last names never change. All right. And uh, the town had a Catholic school and a public school kind of close by, and um, yeah, it was like Valley. So I claim Valley as my high school, and I've been proud to say that for a long time. So all about Valley High School, Valley football, all right? Our high school was a little bigger. We had 50 kids in the class, but it was a very similar approach. So I've claimed that ever since. So what's your name? What high school do you go to? And then what? What do you do? Now, if I'm not doing well, then my identity becomes, if, I, if my identity, if I'm living M-I-R, if my mission is my priority, if I'm living out of my mission, then if I'm failing in my mission, then I'm a failure. You see that, how that works? If I'm not doing well in my mission, I'm not doing well. I, my identity becomes failure, my identity becomes my performance. And that's a really miserable way to live. A lot of prayer will push against that and start to live out a relationship and that relationship giving me who I am rather than my performance or my achievements or my successes or my failures. That's a really terrible way to live. This is what I mean by men who are able to live from their interior life and not from their exterior props. The props are gone. I tell this to the men, the props of priesthood are gone. If you're looking for success or that nice little parish that you could comfortably get by in, newsflash, it's done, buddy. You've got to have an interior metal. You can't be brittle. You've got to be interiorly aware of what God's doing in you to give you your identity. Because if you get your identity from the status of priesthood or cultural cloud of priesthood, you're done. It's it's done. And so what I'm paying attention to interiorly, as I point out in B here, these movements, TFD. TFD. Every human person, and I'm going to conclude here in five minutes, just to assure you of that. T. Every human person has a rationality and a free will. Intellect thoughts the will desire what do you want jesus is always asking this what do you want what are you looking for what do you want me to do for you what do you want desire the heart and f is feelings passions the technical name is intellect passions and will but i go with thoughts feelings desires So interiorly, we have, this is a great exercise for a lot of us. Can you name a thought? Can you name a feeling? Can you name a desire that you had today? What was your prominent thought today? Tuesday. I think I have a lot of work to do. What was your prominent feeling? Impatience. i got a lot of work to do. I feel impatient. I feel sad. I feel worried. What was, my, what was my desire, my prominent desire? I just want to get through the day. I want to get this done. I just want to get this done. Whatever that thought. So naming thoughts, feelings, desires is a lot about naming where you live. And if a lot of where I live is a lot of forcefulness and pushiness and pressurized life and drivenness, and I am tightly wound, I'm going to miss the relationship. It's a hellish way to live. So, if you can come here and relax and be vulnerable, my goodness, you're well on the way to living in relationship rather than in isolation. The Holy Spirit is always moving us into relationship. If someone's moving away from God, the Holy Spirit will shoot arrows at their legs so they stop running away from God. If a person's moving toward God, the Holy Spirit will always comfort so the fact that you're all here says you're all kind of wanting to look for god all right at some point you've had that holy spirit moment where like i can't live this way anymore you've been pinched some some people call it rock bottom i can't live this way this is hell hell is living in suffering alone that's hell when i suffer alone desolation and consolation are these two movements Closer to God, consolation, being alone with God, desolation is being alone without, being alone, isolated, desolation. I'll let you read through the rest of that on your own, but just to say this, I've offered you a litany here at the end that might prompt or prime the pump. It's called a litany of the childlike, and it was composed by one of our uh, seminary formators uh, who was just observing the men. And he was just noticing these trends and the first movement names a lot of desolating thoughts and feelings. A lot of thoughts and feelings that take us away from God, take us out of love, move us into being tightly wound and fearful, where I try to figure things out and fix them on my own. And I don't ask for help, I don't petition, I don't cry out, I don't share. I'd rather suffer alone. Believe me, I know this well. I'm a German Catholic farm kid, all right? You don't ask for help. If it's going to go wrong, it will, all right? My mom would say, I shouldn't have to ask you to do this. You should see it. My dad would say, see work and do it. These are echoes in my life, all right? It's not not traumatic stuff like big T trauma, but it is like, it still kind of poisons my spiritual life. It doesn't work so well, all right? I shouldn't have to ask you, God, for everything. Because that's what my parents said, All right? So i got some twisted up images of God here. Get untwisted by the silence. Like, oh my gosh, why do I believe these things about my Father? And Jesus is so good on this, right? If you who are wicked know how to give good things to your kids, how much more does your Father? Talk about a slap across the face. What do we believe about God our Father? What desolating things keep us enslaved? and small and not asking. The second part of this litany is filled with consoling thoughts and feelings. Where are you living? Where do you live most of your days? This isn't a moral question. This isn't a blame question or a shame question. It's just a spiritual question. And if I know where I'm living spiritually I can ask for something different. (laughs) And that's what you're doing here tonight. And so those questions about vulnerability might be amplified by this litany. And even just sharing tonight, right? So here's a vulnerability. I I was vulnerable with my men not long ago because I told them this is the hardest time of year for me. It's the time of year in which I buried my cousin on my birthday, my birthday's tomorrow. And he died in a car wreck, he was burned to death. And um, I was at his bedside, first one there. And his fiance was there. She was my classmate. And it was 27 years ago now. Uh, but you don't forget those. He was going to be 21 years old. And I was turning 20. And, um, and so a lot of my life was an exclamation point with that moment. Because he's the son of my dad's twin brother. And my dad and uh, his twin brother, they farmed down the road from each other. And so he was like an older brother for me. So what do you learn in trauma like that when you lose someone you love? I will never love like that again. If I love, I'll get hurt. And just to say that out loud to you, men, is, is to be vulnerable with you. And for a long time, I thought that wasn't worth talking about. But it's always worth talking about what affects us deeply. So that it gives others permission to talk. So this is the, the hardest time of year for me. But it's also a blessed time. Because the more I speak of it, and share it with God, and share it with others, the less I'm alone with the pain. And the healing comes in. You don't forget. But the pain now has blessed are you. Because I'll be here with you. For a long time I was alone. Vulnerability moves us out of the aloneness. Moves us out of the shame. If you ever wanna see a great uh, YouTube video, I'll recommend this one. Brene Brown is her name, B-R-E-N-E, Brene Brown. She talks about vulnerability as the source of creativity, the source of initiative, and the source of real productivity. She was giving a talk to a computer engineering firm and they said, we just want you to help us become more productive and um, creative and, and, and just, just better at our jobs. And she said, I'm gonna talk about vener- vulnerability then. And it's, they said, no, you don't need to talk about vulnerability. We just need you to help us become more creative and take initiative and she said, okay, fine. And then she talked about vulnerability and they became much more creative. For it. <laughs> it's the source of real creativity and real I- initiative. You can hear it in what you see in these witnesses of these men. I thought and felt this way, then I brought other men with me. And now I'm not alone. That's a pattern, not just in the apostolic age, that's a pattern for every age. All right? And so let's pray this litany of childlike. And then let's take some time with those questions at your tables, okay? And I'll be available for some Q&A, I think. Do we want to do that at all? Or? We'll, we'll do the table questions if that's all right. Yeah, great, great, great. I'll stick around for a little bit. Yeah. So let's pray. It's a litany, so you get deliver me, Jesus, and Jesus grant me on the other side. So together, from the fear that keeps me from trying new things. Me, Jesus. From the fear that it will be too hard to change. Me, Jesus. From the fear that God is asking too much. Me, Jesus. From pretending to have it all together. Me, Jesus. From the desire to impress. Me, Jesus. From self-reliance. Me, Jesus. From the poison of comparison. Me, Jesus. From the shame that leads to self-condemnation. Me, Jesus. From rumination on the past. Me, Jesus. From anxiety about the future. Me, Jesus. From the illusion that I'm in control. Me, Jesus. From the lie that I have to earn your love. Me, Jesus. From the lie that I'm a burden or an inconvenience. Me, Jesus. From the lie that I should just try harder. Me, Jesus. From the lie that you want only my strengths and not my weaknesses. Me, Jesus. From the lie that I have to stop sinning before I can approach you the lie that I'm alone, from the lie that I'm the only one with these struggles, from the temptation to give up, just pause for a moment of silence and notice what's ringing in your heart as you hear those fears and lies. Maybe there's one or two you just want to mark for yourself. Just take a moment to relate that to God, to the Father who looks upon you. Together we continue. Jesus, grant me. So, say that together. Jesus, Jesus grant grant me. Trust in your Father's providential care for me. Jesus, grant me. Trust in your desire and ability to heal me. Jesus, grant me. Trust that the Holy Spirit is constantly guiding me. Jesus, grant me. A heart full of gratitude. Jesus, grant me. The conviction that success in this life depends more on you than it does on me. Jesus, grant me. The conviction that your power is made perfect in my weakness. Jesus, grant me. The conviction that I am known and I am loved. The conviction that you're healing my memories, passions, and desires. The conviction that you have a plan that is just for me. me. The humility to see myself as you see me. me. The freedom to try and to fail. The freedom to rejoice in others' achievements and gifts. The grace to run to you in times of temptation. The grace to immediately turn back to you when I sin. Jesus, Jesus, make me so that I can receive everything from You. Immaculate Heart of Mary, pray for us. Just take a moment of silence with those lines and just underline the one that has your attention. (coughs) And bring that petition to God. Ask, relate. and relate and the honesty of that litany just this could be a prayer for a week or a month or a year. Just let it move your heart. Prayer's already been happening in you. you're just noticing tonight. Prayer is not something you do, it's something that happens. Trust that. Amen.
0: Thank you father Um, we'll take uh, you have those questions in front of you I'll just read them real quick you can take a uh, we'll take about a minute for each question please write down an answer Uh, this will help you at your table discussion and we'll 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 cut the table discussion to a certain length uh, so you guys can ask father uh, Hasing any questions you might have and maybe we can get everybody out here a little earlier this evening so can you name a recent experience of vulnerability and you name a recent experience of vulnerability? And Father's talking about being vulnerable and the men in the, in the seminary, it, it works with your wife too if you're courageous enough to do it and really share from your heart because you're yoked to her and she to you and you both to God. So he's there for you. follow-up to that first one. What fears did you have before that experience? What did you learn as a result? What fears did you have before that experience? What did you learn as a result? Finally, how might this change your sense of value, of vulnerability? How might this change your sense and value of vulnerability? We'll do this for about 15 minutes. Okay. If you got your questions for Father, he'll make his way up here. You know, did you guys hear he said um, his birthday is tomorrow? So he. Put He probably won't get a happy birthday song at the seminary tomorrow, so we could give him one tonight, couldn't we? All right, ready? Happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday, dear Father,
5: happy birthday to you. Appreciate that very much never get sold <laughs> All right any any questions arising for the good of the group here We, we our table
3: kind of wondered if you could buy locate because we felt like you were in our offices today when we were talking about work hard
5: Yeah <laughs> yeah bike locating i
3: really really familiar Just
5: a, a lot of the spe- the best think of it this way the best doctors A friend of mine just went to Mayo Clinic he's had, he had some problems And he had six days of tests, and um, at the end of the six days of tests, the the physician said, all right, um, in July, you probably started feeling like this. He's like, yeah. And then you probably thought it was this. He's like, yeah, but it was really this. Really? And then in August, this started happening to you. Yes. And it got worse in September. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so what's, that, what's a good physician doing? He's describing your symptoms and tracking what's happening to you because he's done all the testing, he's put it together, and he's telling about your experience to you in a way that's now like, I totally understand why I was thinking and feeling that. That is what Ignatius did with the rules of discernment of spirits. He said these things in these rules that when you read them, you're like, oh my gosh, that's what happened to me. And so the rules of the discernment of spirits are not like some outside thing to help us out, but really the power of the rules is just describing our life to us. Describing what's happening to us. And that's what Jesus does so well all throughout the scriptures. And that's why he uses stories and parables. So you can like, well, that's me. I thought and experienced that. Unless our spiritual life is... Connected to reality, it's, it's going to be just me trying a bunch of stuff. i got to live in my reality, and that's how that happens, just paying attention, just paying attention. That's like 85% of the spiritual life. Pay attention, all right? So thanks for pointing that out. Yeah. You're, right, you're on the right track, <laughs> as they would say. Keep paying attention. Other questions. Back row. Yeah, you could ask us to pick out one of the litanies and the grant Yeah, whatever you like, yeah. yeah so okay, you, you so you, I just to repeat the question, I'd ask you to look at which line in the litany got your attention. Yeah.
2: So I was and I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I will. Um, which ones
5: did you pick out? Oh. You know, uh, the self reliance one's a big one for me. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, the, and the Jesus grant me, just grant me confidence in your love for me, you know, Con- conviction of your love for me. And I gave two book recommendations, and I just want to point those out. On the front, the first book re- rec- recommendation is called I Believe in Love. It's the foundational text for all of our men in seminary. Because they're men, they're good men, they want to try to figure things out and fix what's going on, but that can get a guy down a road of getting more and more tightly wound. Relax your way into trusting that you're beloved. That's the real exercise. Notice how difficult it is for a lot of us to receive praise, affirmation, gratitude, just, uh, just... like, birthdays are hard for me, all right? <laughs> Somebody came to my office today and said, uh, hey, are you ready for tomorrow to be all about you? I was like, what do you mean? It's your birthday. And I was like, oh, gosh, dang it, I forgot that. So I'm going to hide tomorrow, all right? I'm going to take a trip. No. It, so just notice that it can actually be very penitential to be more receptive to affirmation and less deflection of it. Just to re- That was a penance for me when I was leaving a parish. It was the hardest penance of my life. I had gone a confession to my spiritual director, and he said, you know what, when you leave the parish, people are going to say some things to you, and I just want you to have one response. Not praise God, or God be praised for that, or you're so kind to say that, you're so good to say that, thanks for saying that. Those are all forms of deflection. They're all forms of diminishment. He said, I just want you to say, thank you, and receive it, and believe it. Oh, that was penance. Just to receive love. When we receive love, it puts to death lots of deadly things. That's what penance does. It puts to death the deadly. So self-reliance is deadly for me, and it's really prominent for me. Receiving love is the way out of that and if i can lead men into that that's 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 a lot of the work of seminary formation yeah. yeah thanks for asking please paul
1: um jesus never went to university his disciples never went to university and i understand that priests need to go to university to become like jesus but for the rest of us if the universities are teaching this this wokeness and um, this um, gender ideology—do we need to discourage our children from going to university, or should we should we pick and choose their classes for them, or should we encourage them to be mechanics and carpenters and plumbers?
5: <laughs> it's we're not gonna be able to insulate our kids. We're just not gonna be able to shelter our kids. Uh, we're gonna to have to raise our kids to be discerning and capable of making choices in the midst of all this. Right? And, and, and that kind of well-equipped, critical-thinking child is much better off than the one who's been sheltered, if you will, right? So we wanna build up capable children. I have my brother, he's got an 18-year-old son and let me tell you, he's got a great head on his shoulders. I would put him in any university and he could choose rightly. He's chosen rightly, really consistently. In high school. This stuff is happening in high school. They're, and the internet's given him such access and he just has no time for it. He's not antagonistic, he's not, you know, angry, he's just a really even kid. And a lot of that's come through athletics. <coughs> he's had to make choices that allow him to be a good athlete. And wokeness will not allow that. It's, his choices allow him to be a good athlete and a good teammate and a good leader. And so that's what's gonna allow him to be a good university student. So before we go into a protectionism mode and a sheltering mode, let's build up our kids to be critical thinkers all through that high school phase. All right, because that's how they mature. All right, and just to say this out loud about seminary, The seminary has four parts. Intellectual formation is just one of the four parts. Um, I had 42 classmates in Rome, 13 of them left the priesthood. They were the smartest guys in my class. They were the best intellects in my class. They aced all their exams. So doing well intellectually is not the way into the best priestly formation. We need the foundation of the humanity a man who is humanly integrated, and that's what we see happen when priests leave or, or marriages break up. The humanity gets disintegrated, all right? And so we, we're really working hard in the seminary on human formation and the spiritual formation that brings that together. So the human and spiritual formation we do in seminaries actually is getting a priority. And so our seminaries are more and more about healing and less and less about schooling. That's not to say they're not getting the schooling. They're not getting less schooling. They're getting schooling, but it's getting some soil to take root in. So we can't have a shallow guy. Right? The humanity has to be there for deeper roots to grow. So. And a lot of the humanity develops before he's even come in our building. We just, want to see, we just want to till it. We keep tilling it. They don't like it sometimes to till the soil, but it's important. That's what we do. Great. Other prominent questions or thoughts? This is great. Thanks for having me. I appreciate being with you. God bless you all. All right.
0: Thank you again, Father. Um, the uh, I can't encourage you guys enough. Uh, he talks about the vulnerability and all that. If you can get into a, a small men's group, form one. If you get one other guy, that's a small men's group, and then you can add men to that. Because of that, uh, because of that, uh, you can do what he he's telling us. Talk about your thoughts, feelings, and desires. You can be vulnerable with those men, and not worry about. Uh, what they think of you or anything like that. It's, it's been a real help for me. And you can also get into, that's where you build your relationships. You get your identity and you go on mission to bring other men to do these kinds of things. So um, I can't encourage that enough uh, to get
4: into a small men's group or form one yourself. You guys deserve it, really. And that's where CTM comes in. And specifically, then, that's where the MCTs are going to come in. And so we're going to invite Mark to explain a little bit more about how we can be salt and light of the world. And remember, too, for those of you who don't know, um, uh, Mark and I, we've known each other for almost, what, 42, 40, whatever years, 40-plus years. He was my football coach at Valley Catholic. He was the first one to get all this started. He won the, the first two state championships down there at Valley Catholic. And he and I have been really, uh, uh, and along with the rest of the guys, we've been really on fire with this men's cross training.
6: So my, um, my wife Debbie and I, as Father Huber said, we've, we started a long time ago, but um, Debbie and I have been parishioners at, at uh, Festus, at Our Lady Festus for 47 years. Just as kind of introduction, we've been, um, we have four married daughters Uh, Each was married in the church, Uh, have seven grandchildren. All the daughters um, and three of the four son-in-laws still practice their Catholic faith. All seven grandchildren have been baptized. I don't have time to get into the story, but had I not gotten involved with CTM when I did, before we ran into some different discussions and challenges with that family I just mentioned, those stats wouldn't be as good as they are, Uh, and I can tell you about that another day. One of uh, Debbie and I's greatest fears is what is this world going to be like for our children and our grandchildren and their future generations long after we're gone? I'm just curious, am I the only parent or grandparent that feels that way? Do any of the rest of you have that thought cross your minds at time? I think it's pretty much a consensus. I celebrated my 69th birthday a couple weeks ago. Debbie will celebrate her 69th this coming April. Um, This very simply means that we each grew up in a much different environment than our kids are today. We grew up in an age of Christendom. Monsignor Shea in the preface um, defines an age of Christendom as when economic life, political life, and social life were inspired by Christian principles. I think it's fair to say that's not the case today, right? In that same book, Archbishop Fulton Sheen was quoted, this was in 1974, that we are at the end of Christendom, not the end of Christianity, not the end of the church, but the end of Christendom. And I think it's important we all realize that. We're in a different environment today than many of us grew up in. Archbishop Sheen went on to say, this does not have to be seen as a gloomy picture, rather it is a picture of the Church in the midst of increasing opposition from the world. As we've all heard, the Archdiocese, with all things new, has done a nice job of letting all of us realize how much the world's opposition has negatively impacted the Church. Again, is that fair? The the opposition's had quite an impact. Well, when When uh, Archbishop Sheen was making those comments in 74, I was a sophomore at Northeast Missouri State University. I'm a cradle Catholic. I was oblivious to anything that was going on in the Catholic Church at that time. I was much more interested in enjoying a great uh, social time at a pretty fun school, getting a degree in math so that I could get a job in practically any high school in the state with a math degree, to do what I really wanted to do, and that was become a head high school football coach. I went through the motions for the next 40 years of being Catholic while my wife, a convert, basically raised our four daughters to be Catholic. While I was, to be honest, some of you heard this, I was focused on trying to figure out how to win football games. I thought that was really important at the time. At no point did I ever take the role of being a spiritual leader in my home. I was oblivious to the importance of doing so. I will always regret that lost opportunity. I needed a wise man back in those days, a wise man that I trusted to um, approach me when I was a young parent and a young football coach to invite me to something like this tonight. I needed somebody to do that and nobody was there to do that. Or I needed somebody to invite me to a men's cross-training practice like the ones that will be occurring tomorrow. And if you you have some cards there, calendars in front there on your table, if you'd grab one, you could kinda see what I'm talking about. Again, I never had anybody do that when I was a young parent, a young football coach. I never had a wise man that I respected come up and help me in that respect. I wish they would have. I wanna fast forward to September 17, 2017. That's when Father Huber called me, said he wanted to come by my house on a Sunday afternoon um, around three o'clock, and he wanted, to, when when he got to my house, he said, or he basically wanted to tell me about an idea they'd gotten a hold of him, and his his statement was very simple. Mark, I want to build a growing community of men where you'd be ecstatic if Kimmy, that was my only daughter, not married, you'd be ecstatic if Kimmy met one of them. That's all he had to say. I I was in immediately. I said, okay, I'm in. That made perfect sense to me, having four daughters. Um, And I I told him I said I'm in and I've told him since I'm in for the rest of my life on this deal I'm not going anywhere Um, We really want tonight This is very special. I've I've been nervous about talking tonight because I don't want to screw it up but We're here to get to just understand how many of you in this room would be ready to go all in on this CTM effort This this what we're trying to do that fall in 2017, a group of men from three parishes started getting together, meeting every couple weeks for the next several months. That group created, a that volunteer army created a name, Community of Transcendent Men. They established a mission, men helping men transcend by following the teachings of Christ and his church. We hired an outside consor- consulting firm. That consulting firm helped us assemble a leadership team. They helped us build an organizational structure. They helped the leadership team figure out how to function. That leadership team has been meeting for 90 minutes every other Thursday for some time now, the last several years. We established a 501 c 3 nonprofit to raise money so that the, uh, we can build the CTM across the archdiocese, across the state, and eventually the country. We, this isn't some small thinking going on here among a, a, a growing group of men. We established CTM events on the last Tuesday of each month. That's what you're attending tonight. Before COVID, we hit we were crowding a hundred men showing up. That's tapered off because of COVID. The more we met, the more we talked, the more we observed, the more we read, the more we understood Father's comment, Father Huber's comments on page three of the Vivid Vision. Just to review that very quickly, it's this simple. Father Huber made the comment in the spring of 2015 while sitting in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament. I felt the Holy Spirit, he felt the Holy Spirit was inspiring him with an idea. For some time he had been observing the increasing problems and challenges seemed so overwhelming to many in the parishes that he had been serving. As a result of many hours of prayer and reflection in front of the Holy Eucharist, he was blessed with an idea that is the solution to these problems. Again, am I the only one or do some of you notice there's a lot of problems going on? There's a lot of challenges. Okay, I think we all feel that. Father Huber, and we believe he's right, the solution is us men. Us guys, we've got to step up and do something. So if you don't like the direction that your loved ones seem to be taking, you may want to join this CTM educational crusade in a bigger way than just attending these Tuesday night events. That is to join the men's cross training, which again began tomorrow night. The first session for this semester is tomorrow. If you're concerned about the potential negative uh, results from all things new, as we hear all this stuff, it's, it's, it's nothing I feel like we can control, um, you may want to join the CTM educational crusade in a bigger way, and again, that is to help infuse the CTM mindset into our parishes. We feel the MCTs that are, that are gonna re-begin tomorrow night are gonna have a, play a big role. If you're concerned about the progressive woke ideology that's been spreading across this country since 1935, you may want to join the CTM crusade. And again, you can start tomorrow night by attending an MCT practice. It's a one-hour practice. If you're not concerned about the progressive woke ideology in this country, you might want to get this book. The name of the book is Awake Not Woke, the tagline, a Christian response to the call to progressive ideology. The author Noel Maring explains why Jesus and his church is the ultimate target of the woke revolt. Again, scary stuff. The woke movement is heavy on the college campuses where we send our kids and grandkids. It's all about destroying our families, your families. The woke movement seems to have originated in in, uh, 1935, according to this author, in the Frankfurt School, which moved into Columbia University and Ivy League School. That's 88 88 years they've been spreading this cancer across the country. The school developed a strategy in the United States of infiltrating the family, the universities, and our culture. How do you think they're doing? They're making a lot of headway, aren't they? The Frankfurt School architects, it says in the book, Many of them plagued by disturbing and perverse sexual histories, preached a doctrine of sexual and cultural freedom. How are they doing? Um, You read about this. These don't seem like really stable individuals that were leading this thing back in those days. They wanted to remove the father and install the mother in as many families as possible. How do you think they're doing? They sought to free children of parental authority by ending their religious instruction and replacing it with a radical sex education curriculum. Aren't we hearing about that all over the country? The Frankfurt School considered that their two greatest obstacles, according to the author, to be God and the family. Shouldn't we conclude that we are playing this game of life with our family in a very unfriendly environment and, and culture against a, a very clever evil foe? I mean Satan himself has to be behind this, right? What similarities can you see in today's culture versus the culture environment during the apostolic times shortly after Christ's crucifixion and resurrection 2000 plus years ago? Can't we see a lot of similarities? So Father Huber has convinced many of us and I hope he's convincing more of you here tonight that the best solution, maybe the only real solution, is for each of us men to truly step up and lead. This means leading our spouses, our children, our grandchildren, our parishes. It means leading our communities. It means talking to people in our work environment. These young adults that are coaching our children in sports, they need to be led. The teachers, the administrators who are working with our children, they need to be led. We learn to lead following the teachings of Christ and his church. So again, the simple goal for each of us men who are on this mission is to become better leaders. So how do you get better? Well, what do, what do we do with our kids and our grandkids when they want to become better basketball players, when they want to become better uh, dancers, when they want to become better baseball players? What do we do? What do we tell them to do? They go to practice, okay? So the Level 10 Leadership has designed a practice. It's a men's cross-training practice And um, just show of hands, how many of you have actually attended one? Have many of you here attended one? Okay, that's great. I'm begging the rest of you to join us. We're begging that. Um, So what's the MCT practice all about? If you got a pen or pencil handy and you wanted to write something down, because people might ask you, what's the purpose of the MCTs? Well, one way we would say it, I think it's the seven words. It's men helping men step up and lead. That's the purpose of the men's cross-training practice. Another way you could say it, it's men helping men follow Christ and his church. I think that's eight words. So use either or both. Men helping men step up and lead. Men helping men follow Christ and his church. I go to these practices, when I was a head football coach, I went to practice to help all these players become better football players. I didn't go to practice to help me become a better football player. I, I was past that. I go to these practices, though, like a player coach. I go to help myself become a better leader and go to help others become a better leader. So what's the progression been? In fall semester of the 21-22 school year, a group of about three or four guys and Father Hoover, I wasn't on that group, but they got together and they designed what they felt would be an effective practice to help us men. About 20-plus men got together in the fall of the 21-22 school year and we trial and errored it. We just ran the practices, and then after the practice was over, we gave our input to try to make them even better. We then executed the MCT practices at one location in St. Joe's Corpus Christi in the spring semester of the 21-22 school year. That was last school year. This past fall semester, we expanded to three locations. We're down in St. Genevieve with a couple of you who are here. We're down in St. Francis County, and we're still here at St. Joe's in Imperial. <laughs> Tomorrow night, we start again, and we're in five locations, and you can look there on the calendars. We're doing something kind of exciting. I don't know if it was Steve back there, it was your idea or whose idea it was, but we thought, okay, some of the men we gotta get to are the men who dropped their kids off to PSR. So tomorrow night, Matt, help me out, from 520, 525, to 525 to 625, the campus at St. Joe's is, is busy Wednesday night. So we can't meet there. We're going to meet at the intermediate building of the Windsor School District, which is five minutes from St. Joe's. We're going to meet there. We're going to start at 525 sharp. We're going to be done at 625 sharp. We want the men who are dropping their kids off for PSR to drop them off, drive five minutes to practice, go through an hour practice, and get back over to school to pick up their kids from PSR. What do you think about that idea? Is that not a phenomenal idea? We're, we're then, we're then going to drive down to Crystal City, St. Joe's, or excuse me, Our ladies at Festus also has a, their facilities are crowded tomorrow night, so we have an office in Crystal City um, that many of you have been to, I believe. We're going to be doing the same thing there. We're going to start at 650, 650. The, the dads are going to drop their kids off around 6:30, 630, 635. It takes six minutes to drive from Our lady to that office, so they can get there, start again at 6:50. We're going to be done at 7:50 sharp. They've got 10 minutes to get back over and pick up their kids. There's a lot of dads, we understand they don't they drop their kids off. they just sit out in the parking lot. Well we're going to give them something a lot more productive to do. So, again, as I close this up, why are we communicating all of this this way tonight? We used to ask. We're getting off of asking, and now we're begging. Um, We need help. It sure seems like there's been a lot of hard work by a lot of good people at the Archdiocese about the All Things New initiative. But frankly, it doesn't seem like there's been much said about growing the church. The comments has been made that it needs to be done, but there hasn't been much about how to do it. It's, it's been articulated quite well about how the church has been shrinking for some time. Fair enough. That was articulated well. In this book that Father Hasting, and a couple other guys wrote, From Christendom to Apostolic Mission, it implies that In an age of Christendom, top-down strategies will work. An average teacher, an average parent, an average administrator, an average pastor can function effectively. Now, this is the way I'm taking it, Father. They can function effectively in an age of Christendom and and get things done. I think uh, that happened to me. I got through that era okay, because it was in a different age. It doesn't work very well in the apostolic times. Top down isn't the answer. The way I'm understanding it, it's got to be bottom up. It's got to be a grassroots effort. The book talks about that parents, teachers, coaches, administrators, as I said, can do a, a, an average job. Apostolic times, we all got to play the game at a higher level. I got to be a A, a, a plus grandfather. I got to do better if I'm going to help my seven grandkids. Um, the author from this book, again, or authors, got my attention when they talked about pastoral strategies for an apostolic age. They said, I think it was, I hope it was in this book. I read a lot of different stuff, and I didn't know the author was gonna be here, but I think it was in this book. Anyway, I heard somewhere, the archbishop can't necessarily lead a movement like this. He's too busy running the archdiocese. I mean, he really, he's too busy doing that. He can't do this. The parish pastor can't leave this, lead this movement as an individual, already an impossible job, he's too busy running the parish. If you ever get this book and go to page 52 and 59, it will explain to you how challenging it is for priests to do what they're doing. The conclusion, the CTM leadership is ready to go from asking to begging men to help us build the MCTs across the area. Thanks for listening and prayerfully considering our cry for help. Thank you.
0: Thank you Mark, <clears throat> we, did, we wanted to take that opportunity uh, in, in order to get that information out and I think Mark did a good job. We have to go to practice we could, if we want to get better. Um, I, I apologize, um, I, I should have mentioned this earlier, um, we are here tonight because of a mix-up in St. Joseph. We weren't, weren't on the recurring calendar so they didn't have space for us and we scrambled at the last minute. I asked Monsignor Knight can we have room A and he graciously let us have it. There was nothing going on in here. So, Monsignor, thank you very much for allowing us to, to hold it here tonight, I appreciate that. Not only that, thank you for being here. It, it, it really does us men a lot of good, especially who are on the leadership team when we come and there are priests present and deacons present. They're, they're giving up their time, which they already give so much, because they know it's important to, to be seen and be at these events. So uh, thank the deacons that are here, and Father Knight, and Father Huber, and Father Hasing, thank you. Uh, we always hear about, or, or we should be hearing about, uh, how the Holy Spirit works, how we have to be open to the Holy Spirit's promptings, and how are we doing that? We have to listen to, for the Holy Spirit, and we're so busy that we, we, we don't even have time to listen sometimes. But I tell you, it is if you can develop a habit of listening um, it, it can really pay huge dividends. And, I, and I'll tell you a, a little bit, I was going to, um, I was working on, uh, I, I help uh, Dennis and Brent in the operations side to find speakers for these events. And uh, I went to Forming Men for Christ uh, down at St. Joe and Clayton. They meet once a month on the second Thursday, 6.30 a.m. mass, and then they go downstairs like this, in a room like this for a talk. And uh, I went to uh, one and I think it was May, and I was there, and uh, Father Mason, who has gone back up uh, to is it North Dakota? South, South Dakota. Uh, he was going he's not uh, at the uh, Kendrick Glennon anymore but uh, he was sp- uh, scheduled to be the speaker. And he was at St. Joseph, and the, the pastor there asked him if he could celebrate a funeral mass. So he said sure he'd help him out and he got a fill-in speaker and the fill-in speaker was Deacon Keating. And so if you were at the August event and you heard his talk on Eucharist and confession, um, well, if you, have it, if you didn't hear it, go to YouTube. It's up on YouTube on the uh, Catholic CTM webpage. Um, it, was, it was amazing to hear him talk. And, but I, he gave the talk in the basement at St. Joseph that morning and I listened to his talk there about how he was assigned here and assigned there and why he's in St. Louis now and some other things. And, and so I followed him over to the stairway and said, hey, would you come and speak? And he said, sure, and he, he was here in August. And had I not gone there and had Father Mason not done the funeral mass and asked Deacon Keating, none of that would have happened. Well, lo and behold, last year we were doing what a CTM man looks like in that booklet, The Vivid Vision. We were trying to hit all those topics, but that's how listening to the Holy Spirit and acting on those things comes about. I mean, we can do all these nice things and come here every month, but if we never take an action, it's really not gonna move the needle. That's the biggest thing that, that these men's cross trainings uh, are about. We have a really short six-minute talk by a man like any one of you in here. Some of you guys are giving a talk this semester. But it's a guy that gets up every day, puts on his pants and goes out and tries to provide for his family. And they're gonna give a really brief talk after an introduction. We're gonna have time for, for discussion of the so questions from the speaker. At the last 10 minutes are an opportunity for you to sit there and look at what, what in my life can I change? Because the speaker is gonna say, I used to be like this and I made these changes and now my life is like this and this has been the effect for my family and my friends. So you're gonna get an opportunity to do that after listening to the talk and share with the men at your table, I'm committing to do this between now and the next time we meet and then you're gonna be held accountable. So an action that you're gonna take and be held accountable for. That's what's gonna move the needle. That's what's gonna make a difference. So we really encourage you to come. So thank you again for coming. Just a couple of uh, quick reminders. Tomorrow night we start our very first men's cross training practice. There's one in Hillsboro, and then uh, there'll be a repeat performance in um, in um, Crystal City. No, oh, I'm sorry. Why did I say Hillsboro? Thank you. It's at Windsor Intermediate Center. If you go to our website, you can find all the information there. But that one starts at 5:25. We get you out at 6:25 sharp. We pray the rosary 25 minutes before that start time. We're praying the rosary for the men who are coming, we're praying for the, ro- the rosary for the men who aren't coming, and we're praying the rosary for the men who are putting on the evening, so that um, the, the Blessed Mother will intercede for us and for our efforts. Uh, then in Crystal City, at, we'll do that, the rosary will start 25 minutes before 6.50, so about 6.20, 6.25 down there. So we encourage you, uh, bring somebody with you and you don't have to make all nine of them that you see on there. If you can make one, we think you'll come back for more. But if you can't make it till the 3rd or 4th week, you don't you're not out anything because they build on they don't have they're not structured to build on each other. It's a man getting up there and and being vulnerable, sharing where he was and what he had to do, and it isn't it's not just this grandiose story. Everybody's got a story. Everybody in this room has a story. We let the Holy Spirit guide us and we can share that story too. And and we learn from each other. That's how we grow. That's we, there's a lot of wisdom in this room. You can see it by the the gray hair. So we 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 need to sh- we need to share that with or no hair, as in Father's case. Uh, Monsignor, would you give us a blessing after the Saint Michael prayer?
3: You know
6: them well. We haven't done the best job of advertising this, getting this out to everybody. Uh, we're going to do better. But please call. You've got good relationships where you know the dads. Just call them and, and articulate to them that, hey, you got this opportunity and love for you to show up.
1: Okay.
7: All right. Thank you all for coming. One of the things that I try to uh, have happen here at Mecca Conception is hospitality. I think that's a big way to get people to know that God is gracious, God is good, if they see that we're gracious, we're good. So uh, whatever we can do to be hospitable, we will try to do. So uh, I was glad we had the opportunity to, to uh, have a space to have you. Uh, And I pray that you know the love and the mercy of God. Uh, Lord, we ask that you bless us by helping us to know that you're with us particularly in times of struggle, times of difficulty, times when we may feel isolated, uh, may feel up against it. Give us an awareness that empowers us, that invigorates us, that moves us, that we may in turn empower, invigorate, and move others. I pray that God's Spirit be with you throughout the night, that you may rest peacefully and wake tomorrow to uh, the glory of a new day. May God bless you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Thank you all.